Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. So we're starting into uh, our second part of the book of Hebrews and um, uh, came in yesterday. See, uh, for most of you guys, you know, holiday and midweek is great, right? You get that break from work. For me, it messes up my whole schedule because <laughs> I usually spend Thursdays writing down all the thoughts that I've had during the week about my sermon. But because I was off on Thursday, I did that on Friday. And then Saturday, I had to spend the whole time actually making something coherent out of it. So I came into church and was doing that uh, yesterday. And um, I don't know if most of you know, but there's a group of kids that come here and skateboard quite a bit in the back. And um, they're my music in a sense. They've got that <laughs> it's just a, a rhythm that you get into listening quite a bit. And and I thought to myself as I was as I was working through the sermon about heroes and, and who are our heroes. So I raced out back and I grabbed the kids, there were some older ones and some little younger ones, and I pulled them up. I said, guys, who are your heroes? One kid said Justin Bieber, but everybody shouted him down. So um but there was a few names that were thrown out there, but one, one of the older kids said, Richie McCaw. And, and I looked at him and I said, why? Oh, because he's really good. But what has he done for you? And that kind of grabbed him for a moment and he kind of looked at me and goes, what do you mean, what has he done for me? Well, what has he done for you? He won the World Cup. Oh, he did that for you? Well, no, but he plays rugby and he does that for you? No, and this point you can see this kid struggling to answer him, and he goes, "I want to grow up and be like him." I said, "Well, that's cool. Why? Because Richie actually is a good leader. Um, he's quite a decent man. I don't know him personally, but from what I hear, I think that's a great aspiration." So I kind of said, "Yeah, good on you. That's a good thing." But I came back into my office and I thought, "We as adults have heroes." And I'm grown up, so I can't think that I want to grow up to be like Richie because I'm actually older than him. So if anything, he could grow up to be like me, but I'm not his hero. But we have heroes in our lives, don't we? We have people that we esteem highly, uh, whether they're an inspiration or whether they're uh, some sports heroes. But as I was saying last week, sometimes we give these people just a little bit too much of a high pedestal, uh, especially as Christians. Uh, there's a thing that happens in America, you know, the moment a famous sports star or a movie uh, actor or a musician or a famous businessman, the moment they become Christians, we think of that as a, as a coup. Yes, that's a Christian. And we lift them up and, and we use them as examples for us, don't we? And we put them on pedestals. And sometimes that happens within the church as well. Fame and fortune tends to help us elevate people higher than their standings. I know that, especially in American churches, where, you know, you've got, you know, the rich guy, and he's the one that kind of calls the shots. Or, or the famous guy, he's the one that calls the shots in the church. And we all kind of... But the book of Hebrews starts off almost immediately by saying who should be number one in our lives? Who should be the inspiration? Who should be the hero? Who should that be? 
Hey, I told you 99% of the times I ask a question, it's Jesus. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle for the church. And it was a struggle for people even 2,000 years ago where they were elevating certain people. You know, in Jesus' time, guess who they were? Who were these people that were elevated higher than they should have been? Exactly, the Pharisees. They always had the place of honour at the dinner table. What did Jesus think of the Pharisees? Yes, what she said. A little, they thought a little too highly of themselves. They thought themselves maybe a little bit above who they were, who they should have been. But there were other people, heroes, people of inspiration. One of them was called Moses. And if we open up to Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews launches into this chapter and he hits on the most revered figure, in Judaism, he starts off with this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we have glory. So, You need to understand, this is not an easy thing for people to hear who would have held up Moses quite highly. Now, last week, I shared with you the story of Antonius, right? Antonius was this guy in Rome, uh, about 60 AD. He's a Jew who's become a Christian. He's gone to this house. He's, He's having a bit of a rough time. He's gone to his little group of Christian mates. They're all sitting down, ready to hear this letter. And what do you think he would be holding to heart? His heritage, who he was. He's a Jew. So this would have been hard to listen to. Hey man, don't knock Richie McCaw. Dude. He's the only good thing that came out of New... No, sorry. He's not just the only good thing that came out of New Zealand, but hey, he's our guy. He bleeds red and black, right? Don't knock him. Oh, Moses is even more so. Hey, don't be messing around with our guy. I've grown up to hold him in high esteem. But the writer here is saying, hey, hey, hold on a sec. Where does your faithfulness flow from? Where does it come from? Where does your faith come from? And this is the first point I want to share with you this morning. Faithfulness flows from a healthy view of Jesus. He has to be number one in your life above all things. And that's the difficult part, right? Because, you know, Moses, he's a prophet. Okay, we talk about rich and fame and and glory and all that kind of stuff. 
I mean, Moses, if you want to look at it on a level of who was really cool and high up there, it was Moses. Okay, in Numbers, it says this, and it's, it's pretty heavy. He says, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions, and I speak to them in dreams. Okay, cool. He speaks to prophets in visions and dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And when I speak, I speak to him face to face. That's pretty cool, huh? Okay, they, you know, like Jonah and all them, it's all visions and dreams. But with Moses, I, I speak straight to him. I speak to him clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So God's saying, hey guys, this guy's special. And the Jews are saying, hey, he's our guy. And as you grow up in that kind of a heritage, that's the guy you look up to. Now, the writer of Hebrews is not trying to knock our heroes. He's not trying to disparage Moses. Or he's not trying to disparage the people that we look to for inspiration. There are quite a number of people that we can look to. You guys can number them, name them right now. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther, King, Nelson Mandela. I mean, these are people that we look to for inspiration. They've done some great things. But the question that comes out is, okay, that's all good. And sometimes we might turn to people within our congregations and look to them for answers or let them lead in ways. But the question comes back to you, where's Jesus in all of this? Where, where is Jesus in all of this? And, and, and that's the tough question. Who is Jesus for you? What part does he play in your life? When you turn for advice, where do you go looking? It's a question I'm asking you guys. What part does he play in your life? Really? And this is a difficult thing because I've had so many people come to me struggling. How do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? How can I... How can I get closer? How can he be? And, and you know, the whole thing is, well, when do you spend time with him? And they look at me like, I'm crazy. What do you mean spend time with Jesus? When do you actually stop and spend time with Jesus? How, how important is he in your life? And I've used this example time and time again when I, I shared about Monica, my wife, and I keep telling you guys, I love her to death. But I spend literally no time with her. Does that show that I love her? Does that show I even acknowledge her presence? If I spend no time with her, how is she ever going to know? What, I just write letters to her? Or I ring her up and say, hey baby, I love you. I'll be back at uh, 1am, hanging out with the friends. Oh, that got down really well. Um. <laughs> oh, I know it's your birthday, honey, but hey... Uh, I'm coming back tomorrow, so I'll, I'll, I'll think of you then. Oh, yeah. Guided missile coming in my direction. 
right? Uh, we need to put feet to our belief. We've got to put feet to what we acknowledge. If he is our God, if he is our saviour, if he is the central part of our belief, then where is our relationship with him? And what kind of moments are we spending with him? Where are we investing time and intimacy with him? And what does that actually look like? Because someone put their hands up and say, prayer! Yeah, but who honestly struggles with prayer in this place? Come on. I'm the pastor here and I struggle with it. Calvin Miller wrote this. He says, One barrier to full intimacy with Jesus is hurriedness. Intimacy cannot be rushed. To meet the Son of God takes time. We cannot dash into his presence and choke down spiritual inwardness before we hurry to our one o'clock appointment. Inwardness is time-consuming, open only to minds willing to sample spirituality in small bites, savoring each one. Being with Jesus is not like being at a buffet table. I was talking with Scousey the other week. He goes, you know, we, we, we bought some tapas, which is these little morsels of food, right? And you get a little bit of everything. And he was just like, I, I can't enjoy this. This is not the way a meal should be. It should be like right there, the whole thing. And I want my time to savor it. And I thought, spoken like a true scouter. I was like, amen to that. I mean, I love the little nitbits, but when you get a full meal in front of you that you can savor it, spend your time on it. Enjoy it. It's the same in relationships. Monica knows the moment I'm not there. I don't know how she figures that out. It's a woman thing, maybe. It is, isn't it? You know, you're kind of hanging out. We go for a walk and she looks at me. And she goes, hello. What? I'm here. No, you're not. How do you know? I know. I'm like, oh. hey, guys, you understand what I'm saying here? It's like, little, you know, it's like a buffet table. Just grab whatever you can and, and move on to the next thing. But with Jesus, we need to stop. We need to not only just acknowledge that he is God, but we need to seek intimacy with him. We need to spend time with him and not in between appointments. Rebecca, Rebecca, where are you? you I, I see you occasionally riding your bike. Um... How long did it take you to build up that kind of uh, energy and, and lungs and the whole thing to ride as much as you ride? Um, you just did it every day. That's a really good response, actually. Okay, I've gone, I'm going to the gym with Alan, and, you know, I was, doing, I was helping with the, um, the, the fruit and veggie co-op, and I realized something that I've never done, well, I haven't done in a long time. I was running between, like I'd, I'd get the bags, I'd put it on a little trolley and I'd run down with the trolley, get everything off, then run back. Now, if I ran about three metres, I'd be out of breath. But this time I kept running back and forth and I did the whole thing and I wasn't out of breath. And that was like, oh, that's cool. I'm getting better at this. But if I don't do it constantly and every day for some of us, 
what do we expect? We put more time into cultivating our bodies or cultivating habits than we do in spending time with Jesus. Why? Why? Your bodies are going to die one day. They're going to become frail and old and hard and you're going to struggle to get up in the mornings. You're going to have aches and pains. But your relationship with Christ, that will last forever. So why not cultivate that more than anything else? Why not? I'm planning on a... um, on a sabbatical this year, I'm taking some time off. I was challenged by my supervisor. He said, when have you spent time with God alone? And, you know, that whole alone thing, uh, alone? I don't remember the last time I was alone. I tried to take some time off last year and I went to the worst place on earth and that was mum's place. I love my mum, but I was never alone. And he said, you just need to get away. And you've got to find time to reconnect because the most important relationship you have in your life is with Jesus. And if you want to sit up front here teaching people, then you better be getting it right yourself. So the one thing that I'm doing while I'm away is I'm going to spend some concerted, purposeful time away with Jesus. By the way, I'm raising money for it, so if you want to talk to me about it afterwards. This is and should be the most important thing in your life. Just because I'm a pastor, you can't look at me and say, oh, yeah, that's your job, Rob. No, it's your job too. Spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time with him. If you want to build up faith in your life, If you want to be strong in your belief, then build up your relationship with Jesus. Faithfulness flows from a healthy view of Jesus, but it also flows from obedience and trust in God. And this is by far the most difficult thing for us. Who's good with obedience? Come on, hands up. No one? Really? Yeah, well, that's okay. What about trust? Oh, who's just so trusting that they just blindly... Oh, we got one, one, yes. Come on, who else? There's a few little, oh, well, I can trust, just depends. Yeah. Two of the most difficult things we human beings struggle with, trust and obedience. It's interesting, on one side, the author of Hebrews, he encourages them. He says, hey, people, get back focused on Jesus. I've spent three chapters now just telling you how great he is. And I've even compared him and made him greater than the person that you think is the greatest in your life. He spent this whole time, but now he's going to hit them hard. And from here on for the next three or four chapters, he's going to say some pretty harsh things. Things that most of us in this room aren't really prepared to hear. Initially, it's okay because it's about them Jews. And that's not really about us. But actually, it is. I told you, this was a book that was written primarily to a Jewish congregation, to a Jewish group of people. I mean, he uses a lot 
of Old Testament in it. In fact, this is one that he uses right in the middle of chapter 3. He quotes from Psalm 95. He says this, So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. He's using the you, the personal, it's about you. When did I rebel? Whew. During the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. And that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going, to, always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Where does this come from? We were talking about Jesus. What's this got to do with Jesus? Hey, Jesus is great. Yes, we can handle that, right? Jesus is great. Jesus is great. Woohoo. What's this got to do with, with this? Huh? Why all of a sudden now is he hitting us? He's talking in Psalm 95, they're talking about a specific incident. Specific incident. It's uh, spoken about in Numbers chapter 13. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I have given to the Israelites. You know, they've been in the desert for four, well, not the desert, the wilderness for 40 years. And now finally, they get to go have a glimpse of what's going on in the promised land, the land that God had said, this is yours. So they send a group of guys over there to check it out. Guess how long they're gone for? Anyone remember how long they were gone for? How long? 40 days, that's a funny number, isn't it? 40 days, 40 years, Jesus, 40 days. Numbers again, huh? 40 days they're gone in the land of Canaan checking it all out. And they come back and they say, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey and it's all wonderful and all that. But those people are going to kill us to death. They're not just going to kill us, they're going to kill us to death. There is no way we can go in there. Those people in there, they're giants, man. they And then there's two people that say, hey, hold on a second. Who are they? Joshua and Caleb. They're two guys who say they don't disagree, if you notice. They don't disagree with them, but they come up with another thing. They say, you know what, they might be bigger, they might be all this and that, but we can do this. We We can do this. But unfortunately, the people, how do they react? They agree with the other guys and they say, oh, we're all scared. And God gets angry. He says, you don't trust me. You don't trust me. So what happens to them? What happens to these guys? And it's funny because in Hebrews chapter 3, all of a sudden you start getting these warnings that are coming up. It's not just this verse, this psalm, this reference. Verse 1 says this. If it comes up, there it is. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He's making a statement here. Okay, fix your thoughts on him. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 6. He says, but Christ is faithful as a son of God, a son over God's house, and we are his house. If, there's that word, if. Don't you hate the ifs and the buts? If. Indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And then 
Another verse, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. What's he saying again? Uh, Deja vu, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. And then finally, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's not talking to non-Christians here. He's talking to Christians. How can Christians have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God? Sometimes we read these verses and we think of other people. That's, that's, that's them. But actually, he's talking about us. He's, he's talking about us. He says, yeah, it's all good and well to say Jesus is great. But you know, there's one thing in the Bible that, that is so... Belief equals obedience. Do you know that? If you believe, you obey. In, in, in our life, in our culture, we can believe and not obey and still believe, right? Because we're part of a culture today that says we can pretty much do anything we want and, and kind of believe whatever we want. But, but for God, if you believe, then you'll obey. It, it's just, the Bible makes no distinction. But then you read these verses. And he's talking to us. None of you see to it. None of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The author goes back to the Jewish history of the people who disobeyed. And he's warning the Jews, Antonius in Rome, hey, be careful. One thing is to acknowledge Jesus, but another thing is to fall and fall back in your old ways. Look what the people in the wilderness did. Look at what your ancestors did. And you know what? He's talking to us today and he's saying, Hey people, look at what your ancestors did. Look what they still do today. Hold firm. Hold firm to what you believe in. Don't fall. Sinful, unbelieving heart. That's some harsh words to say. The thief doubts God's provision, right? The sexual immoral person denies the sufficiency of God's plan, God's design for sex. And the religiously proud do not trust on God's priority on humility. These are things that equate to a sinful, unbelieving heart because you're turning from God. So here's some questions I want to challenge you with. You can write them down, but if you get the little um, study guide at the back there, they'll be in there as well, back on the back wall there. Questions. Do we also possess a hardened heart? 
Do we care more about human opinion than the counsel of God? Where are you at? Where are you at with that? Do we allow exalted individuals, our heroes, the rich, the fame, to take priority over Jesus in our lives? Do we allow our pride to inhibit us from trusting God's priority on humility? What's that verse in Micah? Micah chapter 6, I think it is, verse... The youth have been wearing that shirt for some time. Hmm? 6 8, what does it say? Walk humbly. Love mercy. Act justly. Walk humbly with your Lord, right? Oh, love mercy, yeah. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Humbly. We forget about that sometimes. And do we have a tendency to conform rather than to follow the Holy Spirit's conviction? I think that's our biggest problem there. We tend to conform to whatever society or whatever people around us instead of maybe following what the Holy Spirit is convicting us to do. That's a tough part. And, and in all honesty, it, it, it will get tougher because in the next few chapters, he starts talking about spiritual growth. And, and really, you read that and you think, how am I going to preach this? And I'm blaming you guys for this because last year I gave you guys a, a, a multiple choice questions. What do you want to hear for preaching? And out of the 60 responses I got, 42 of you said you wanted to hear Hebrews. So I'm taking it as God saying, let's go preach in Hebrews here. Okay, but over the next couple of weeks, there's going to be some serious challenges for you. Spiritual growth, where are you at? Where are you at with this? And, and some of the words he uses in this book are just, oh, thank you, Lord, this is going to be really easy, right? You know, it's like reading the seven churches. You know, you preach on the seven churches in, in, in Revelation, some of the things that he says in there about the churches, and you try to preach that to your own church. Man, how is this going to come across? It's like that. But these are challenges that we shouldn't take. We shouldn't take like punches. We should take them as motivation to say, where are we at? Where are we at personally? How can we not be like that? What can I do? What can you do to grow deeper in Christ so these things don't overtake us? where conformity becomes part of our lives. We just don't deal with it. We don't challenge it. And then the Holy Spirit's voice becomes softer and softer till we don't hear it anymore because we're just ignoring it so many times. So take it as a challenge, not as a rebuke. last thing I'm going to share with you this morning is that faithfulness flows from being a part of a community of faith. And I strongly, absolutely, completely believe this. Even though I've noticed over the years that people's participation in church diminishes and has been diminishing, one of my one author I really like a lot, and some of you heard of him, Donald Miller. Uh, he, he came out with a book called Blue Like Jazz, and several other books actually. He's just recently done a blog where he says, "I've graduated from church. 
I no longer see the need to be at church. And it's a tack that a lot of people are taking. And I find it distressing because I believe, I believe the church is essential. The church community is essential. You know why? Because I see way too many people living in community, but not really. I see more and more people lonely. I see more and more people in need of being a part of something bigger than them, of sharing in the hope that we have in Christ, not in the hopelessness that this world throws at us. I'll share more about it. There's this one, one slightly small verse that comes out in Hebrews 3.13. It says this, but encourage one another daily. Daily. Do we do that daily? Who encourages people daily? Okay, here's a challenge for you this week. Do you remember last week's challenge? What was last week's challenge? Spend time with God. Don't be digging trenches. Who dug trenches last week? Anyone dig trenches last week? Good. Spend time with Jesus. Get back to him. This week, I'm going to encourage you to encourage people every day. Pick a person and encourage them. One different one every day. Pop an email, say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Be encouraged. I think you're doing a great job or... Love to see you on Sunday. It was really good. Give him a phone call. Say, hey, how can I encourage you? What can I do to help? This week, one person a day. Okay? It's not difficult, right? And don't make it your spouse every day, even though you should be doing that daily anyway. Right? Be encouraged, uh, but encourage one another daily. Anytime I've been in counseling, when I'm counseling somebody who tells me they're struggling with their belief, they're struggling with faith, you know what I tell them to do? Get back to your community of brothers and sisters. Get back to your church. Get back to your community. You know why? Because being around people will help you. Oh, I don't feel like it. Don't even think twice. Get back to church on Sunday. Get back to your your home group. Get back together with the people of God. And you will realize that the more you spend time with them, the more your faith will grow. Do you know that? It's an extraordinary thing. We're dealing today with so many people who are struggling with faith. And we're also dealing today with so many people not going to church anymore. Do you notice there's a correlation between the two? They're not spending time with people of God, with the people and the brothers and sisters who they should be sharing life with together. And I'm finding it as as a pastor and as a counsellor that most people come to me saying they struggle with faith, they struggle in their belief. And I'm asking, where have you been? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you part of your community? Oh, I'm too busy, I've got this, I've got... Well, do you notice there's a correlation between the loss and lack of faith and the lack of being here amongst your people. Because the more time you spend with the people of God, I'll guarantee you the more encouraged you'll be. We learn faith and deepen faith by exercising it, reading the Bible, prayer. But life lived with the people of faith 
is indispensable. Philip Yancey wrote in his book, Church, Why Bother? He wrote this, he said, In the intimacy of small church groups, we are forced to rub shoulders with others in the body, many of whom are not like us. We grow from exposure to their walks with Christ and are encouraged in our own walk. Um, In 1904, Harry Houdini, he was challenged uh, by the Daily Mirror of London to do this extraordinary escape feat. They're going to put him in a box. They're going to handcuff his hands and the handcuffs had six locks on them each. And he had to undo the locks and get out. So they staged it all up. They made this big thing, a feat that hadn't been done. Actually, you see famous photos of him. You know, he's kind of hunched down like this, all locked up and the whole thing. And they put him in this box and all hundreds of people came to see it. They'd filled up this theater and they all cheered him on and he went into the box. And about a few minutes later, he popped out and everyone's like, yeah, but he hadn't undone. He goes, I just needed to stretch my knees a bit. And he gets back down. And a few minutes later, he pops out again. And everyone like, yay! And he's like, no, no, I'm just stretching my back a bit. And he pops back down again. And a third time, after a few minutes later, he pops back up again. And he kind of shakes his head and everyone's going, yay! No, nothing. Goes back down. And then the fourth time, he pops back up and they're all gone. And yay! Everyone's cheering because he got through his things and all that. And the Daily Mary interviewed him. They said, why did you keep popping up like that? And he goes, I needed to hear the encouragement from the crowd. I needed to know that they were with me. Oh, hit it right on the nail, huh? Harry Houdini hit it on the nail. I need to know that I've got people behind me. I need to know that my brothers and sisters are with me. You need to know your brothers and sisters are with you. Ain't that a powerful thing? Ain't that a powerful thing? Well, Jesus is great, yes. Greater than anything and anyone and has to be the central part of our lives. Has to be. What am I going to do about that? How am I going to make that happen? I've got to deal with my unbelief. I've got to deal with areas in my life they're straying me from God. Just like those people in the, in the wilderness. Am I obeying God? Am I trusting Him? But in turn, I need to really, really get my feet into my church, into my community of believers, so that I can be encouraged. That every time I pop into the box, and when I pop back out, they're all there for me. And we as the people of God better be cheering each other on it's not easy sometimes we want to thump them let's thump them on oh boy I can tell you some thumpings I'd like to give but at the end of the day God's not calling me to thump he's calling me to cheer he's calling you to cheer ask our worship team to come up It's an interesting chapter, chapter 3, because it's going to lead into a very important chapter, which is called the rest of God. It's called the rest of God. Your challenge this week 
What's the challenge? Encourage one person every day. That's your job. And I know some of you have got people in your minds right now as you're thinking you haven't talked to them in a while. You know they could use some encouragement. Did you see Elizabeth Taylor walking up here without a walker? That's encouragement right there. Okay? You see Maureen, she's sitting right up front here. Uh, is an encouragement right there. Bob's at the back there. Encouragement right there. Huh? Karen, grandmom, two little kids. She's going to watch them grow. That's encouragement right there. Every time I see Angus, sorry, mate, you encourage me every time. There's things like that that we take for granted, that we forget. We forget and we just take it for granted. God wants you to acknowledge it this morning. And you've got every day this week to do it. And if it becomes part of your lives, do it every day from then on. Amen? Let's stand and worship the Lord.